Appreciate that Lore family and their willingness to help out with music. Uh, and we appreciate you being willing to share with us, Reverend Young. And uh, also want to say appreciate all the time that Josiah has taken over the past months. He's spent hours uh, getting Facebook production ready. Uh, I know uh, it's not anything I could do, and uh, he has a lot of technical skill. We appreciate his willingness to use that for the glory of God and the benefit that it's been to people uh, when uh, they couldn't get to church. So the, the sad thing is that the, the picture is going away. You'll just hear the voice if you want to go on the podcast or whatever, whatever means you use. Uh, so uh, you won't get to see me. You won't get to see my face unless I have a solution for that. Come to church. <laughs> Come to church. <laughs> and you'll get it live. <laughs> and you'll get the whole thing, warts and all. Uh, so uh, we hope that some that have been out of service will come back and join in the worship of God. They tell us, those who keep track of such statistics, that uh, there has been a falling away, that some people that have left have not come back. And so uh, it's still the same command the Bible gives us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And I know it's nice to be able to sit at home and and watch on television and so forth, uh, but uh, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we need fellowship with one another. We need to be, we need to be together in God's house, and we need to be worshiping Him, and we need the strength that comes from being with others. Uh, so, you know, some of us have some rough edges, and uh, uh, Reverend Charles Williams used to say. You know, we're like BBs in a boxcar. <laughs> BBs in a boxcar. Uh, that the constant moving and rubbing, it knocks off some of the rough edges off of us. And, uh, and it makes us a little more uh, social, socially acceptable in the church and so forth. And so it's important to be in God's house. It's important to be together in corporate worship. So we're looking at scripture this morning. I'm not going to have you stand right now uh, because I need to do just a little bit of catching up before uh, we read the scripture uh, because uh, uh, some have not been here for all the series and rather than just breaking in to it and, and starting at uh, part three, uh, we'll do just a little bit of... of uh, introduction to what is going on. So bow your heads with me for prayer. Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you, dear Lord, for this house of God, for this place to come and worship. We ask, dear Lord, for your continued presence with us this morning. Thank you for the Sunday school. Thank you, dear Lord, for all the opportunities of learning and worship. Lord, uh, we thank you for shared requests as people raise their hands this morning for unspoken requests. 
You know the burden of every heart. You know the need in every life. You know the concerns we have for loved ones. And Lord, I pray that you would come near to each of those needs and you would undertake for every problem. Lord, it may not be the way we plan it. It may not be the way we foresee it. But we pray, dear Lord, that in all things you will be involved in our problems and our difficulties. Give us strength, we pray, to maintain the life that you would have us live. And Lord, to glorify God when we go from this place and mingle in with those that are outside the church. May we let Christ be known. We ask all these favors and pray for your special guidance and direction. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been in the book of First Kings. We have been in chapter 17, and we have been in chapter 18. And we have been studying about a great man that God called to do a special thing in Israel. And that man's name is Elijah. And if you don't know the name Elijah, you should use a sticky note on your memory and put that in your memory uh, because that is basic to what this is about. You should know the name Elijah. And I know we have young people that are here this morning that have not been here. And so uh, if I ask you who we're preaching about, uh, you want to be sure and know that the preacher is talking about Elijah, an Old Testament prophet, uh, the greatest of the prophets. He is known as a prophet of fire, and uh, he did mighty miracles. Can you think of any place? Now, I know that this answer was given in the foregoing messages. Can you think of any place that Elijah was other than here in the Old Testament. Can you think of any place that he appeared other than here in the Old Testament? Do you remember what I told you? Where Elijah was seen again. After he died, he was seen again and he was alive. And he was talking to somebody. And he was talking to someone about something that was very important. How many of you remember who who he was talking to. I won't call on you. Let me see your hand if you remember who he was talking to. Let me see your hand. Don't be chicken. Come on. Don't be yellow. Yeah, okay. I see three. Is there any? There's four back there. Yeah. And some of you are just plain yellow. <laughs> You're yellow. That's what we used to call it when I was a kid. You know, they say silence is golden, but sometimes it's just plain yellow uh, because you're a coward. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, uh, Elijah, and I told you I wouldn't call on you, so I'm not going to call on you, but Elijah was seen in the New Testament. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus when Peter, James, and John went up on the mountain and Christ was transfigured before them. Uh, metamorphosis is the word. Uh, what he was inside came through to the outside. He was, his glory was viewed, uh, at least in part. His, his clothes even became as white as no uh, cleaners on earth could ever make them. 
they were they were shining, glistening white. And two prophets, or two of those of the Old Testament, talked to him, and that was Elijah was one of them. Elijah was one of them. And guess what they were talking to Jesus about? They were talking to Jesus, and the other one was Moses. They were talking to Jesus about his death on Calvary. Luke tells us that. They were talking to Jesus about his death and about the salvation that he was going to accomplish. Now, isn't that something that these guys from the Old Testament, they're still alive, they're with God. God allows them to come back in some kind of a, of a special miracle that God worked because we know that all souls in God are alive somewhere with him, and they have some kind of existence. They're not, they're not just sleeping and napping and waiting. We don't believe in soul sleep. Paul said it was advantageous to be with the Lord. So Paul wasn't planning on going to sleep and not knowing anything until the final end came to this world. He was planning on enjoying being with the Lord. He said it was going to be better for him to be there. So uh, get, get the thoughts out of your mind that somehow uh, we're going to cease to know things after death comes. We're going to know more things than we've ever known, folks. And so Moses and Elijah talked with Jesus. So Elijah of the Old Testament was there talking with Christ about what Christ was going to do on Calvary. So God used Elijah in a special way. Uh, we know that he was not known before he appears in 1 Kings chapter 17. And when he appears there and he tells the wicked king of Israel, and we're talking about the northern part of Israel, the southern part, they were split apart. The southern part was still following God in a better fashion than the northern part. There were two tribes, two families, two large groups in the southern part. There were ten in the northern part. And so uh, they, were, they were straying further and further from God and going into more and more idolatry. And so the Bible tells us that God sent Elijah to talk to old wicked king Ahab and tell him that there wasn't going to be any rain, that God was going to shut it off. You see, they were following Baal, and Baal was supposedly in charge of all the thunderstorms, of all the rain, of all the growth of vegetation. He, he was supposed to be the great power. According to those that worshipped idols, according to those that did not follow Jehovah God. And so God is showing his power when he sends his man. Now Elijah doesn't do this on his own. He does it at the word of God. God says... You go tell them. We know that Elijah was a man of prayer. He had been praying, and God sent him for this special mission. Go tell them that there's not going to be any rain until you say there's going to be rain. Gives uh, Elijah a great place of prominence, doesn't it? And he's, he was prominent enough when he said it, the rain shut off for three and a half years. 
three and a half years. How would you like to go three and a half years here without rain? Well, we told about the stories, and I'm not going to go back over the stories that have been part of this series. You have to go to your Bible and read what happened and dig out for yourself or go back and, and go to the old Facebook sermons and get them that way if you want to. But there were many things that happened as God took care of his own. God was faithful. Uh, finally, uh, the Bible tells us uh, in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, uh, in the first verse, it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So here God has given to Elijah a direct promise that rain is going to come. So he is operating on the word of the Lord, isn't he? Isn't that how we're supposed to operate today? Ours may come from the written text. Elijah's was a direct communication, and God did give direct communication in the Old Testament oft times to the prophets. I'm not saying God doesn't do it today. God can do it today, but it will never vary. It will never alter what the Bible says. It is always in agreement with what the Scripture teaches and what has been written for our learning. So it's always, if, it, if it ever goes in another direction, then it's not from God. The Bible tells us that God does give direction, but it's always accurate, it's always in harmony with what he's already said. And so God gave Elijah this promise that rain was coming. Now you go, because Elijah had been in hiding, and that was part of the series. Elijah has been in hiding because King Ahab wanted to kill him because everything's dying in the land of Israel, in the southern part of the land of Israel, or in the northern part of the land of Israel. Uh, the southern part's fine. The northern part is really going through a terrible drought. Isn't that something, how you can have, how you can have good times in one part and drought in another? I was coming down Rapdean Road. It was just sprinkling a little bit. I got down halfway on Rapdean Road, and it was just pouring. Uh, you just don't know. But in this case, it was divine. It was under the direction of God that this northern part of Israel would not get rain. And so uh, their animals were dying. Uh, they couldn't raise any crops. Uh, I'm sure that they depended on other areas uh, where there was rain, like in the southern part of Israel, to get some of the things to keep them going. So the scripture tells us that, as it were, Elijah had a price on his head. Ahab wanted to kill him. Well, finally, the scripture tells us that Elijah reveals himself. He comes out of hiding, and he, and he lets it be known that he wants to talk to King Ahab. <coughs> there was a fellow by the name of Obadiah, that we'll say a little bit about here in a minute. He was, he was a godly man. He did good things. 
he hid a hundred prophets in caves, in two caves, and fed them. They didn't have the greatest food, bread and water. In other words, they were sustained. They had something to drink, they had something to eat. We don't know if it was actually a piece of bread and a, and a bottle of water or whatever that was, but we know that they were sustained. They were kept alive because of this guy, Obadiah, who worked in the kingdom. And he went against the wicked queen. Now, here's another word. I want you young people to remember this. I'm going to ask you. Here's another name. He went against the wicked queen. Ahab was the king. The wicked queen's name was Jezebel. And you've probably heard the name Jezebel before. Jezebel <coughs> is known as a person that put on her face. You've seen people that really layer on the makeup. Doesn't mean they're wicked people, but that's where it comes from. This, oh, they're a Jezebel. Because the Bible tells us at one point later on that Jezebel stuck her face out and smarted off to somebody that actually was going to have her killed. She thought she had so much, uh, so much uh, charisma, so, so good a looks, she could get away with it. It wound up being the last day of her life. But you get that idea. And that's not within depth study, but as you read the Bible, that's where it appears that that comes from, that, that she put on her face and looked out the window. Um, preacher, is it wrong to wear makeup? No, I, I wish some people would. <laughs> you know, we, we can all use a little improvement here and there. Um, and uh, some people will say something about me, you know, is this... This natural, that natural, oh, I'm chemically dependent. Uh, you know, uh, a little color here or there, it doesn't work, it doesn't hurt to have a little bit of color. Uh, used to wear a white shirt all the time, and uh, then when they came out with colored shirts and you could wear colors and it wasn't, it wasn't terribly wicked to put on a, a, a shirt that maybe was uh, a, a beige or a, a red or whatever. Uh, I, I enjoy the colors. And uh, God has made them. So, yeah, I think God likes for us to do the best we can, not in a proud, vain way, but make ourselves as presentable as possible. You know, a, a little bit here and there helps. Uh, a little bit of, of artificial means of, of covering up uh, natural smells is not too bad. Uh, I I appreciate that. Uh, a little good deodorant is very godly, and uh, you don't have to stay upwind of somebody, and uh, that's always a wonderful thing. So we're not putting Jezebel down because she made herself up, uh, but she was a godless woman. She was an idol worshiper. She was a wicked woman. She was a murderer, and she did not follow the true God. Uh, so think of her that way, not just because, oh, she was bad because she wore makeup. That wasn't that way. And so uh, 
when Elijah revealed himself, um, he finally saw Ahab. Obadiah took him to see the king or told the king where he was. And Elijah told him at that time that there's going to be a contest. And he addressed the people. If you look over in chapter 18, we read some of this to you last week back in 17 and 18. Uh, are you the one troubling Israel? And then uh, Elijah issues the, the challenge. Uh, how long do you halt between two opinions? And I talked about that last week. Uh, making up your mind in verse 21. Uh, how long halt you between two opinions? If Baal's the God, then follow him. Uh, and the people did not answer him a word. Nobody said a word. Not anybody said a word. Elijah was there and he issued the challenge. In verse 22 he said, uh, I am the only one that remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Well, we know there was an additional 400 that evidently were secondary. Uh, so somewhere or another there were 850, but 450 seemed to be the active number. Uh, so Elijah gives the challenge. And so if you want to stand with me now, I will read what the challenge is. See, I let you set for a while, didn't I? I was, I was pretty easy on you. I let you set during prayer requests. See, you didn't have to stand there and wait. You got set all that time. And all of you are still conscious. And that, that's, that's really good. I appreciate that. Okay. Let them, this is verse 23. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. And let them choose one bullock for themselves. And cut it in pieces. And lay it on wood. And put no fire under. So they're going to offer a sacrifice. But you need fire in order to offer the sacrifice. But don't put any fire under this. You tell these 450 guys that are representing Baal, don't put the fire under there. Just, just put the animal on the altar, lay, lay it on wood, have wood there so, so the wood can catch fire, but don't put fire under it. And call ye on the name of your gods. And I will call on the name of the Lord and the God that answers by fire. Let him be God. And uh, here the people answer. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. We agree with that. Do that. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first. For ye are many and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under so there was Baal, and there was his, his uh, uh, as it were, a, a female accomplice that was Ashereth. Uh, they took the bullock which was given them, they dressed it, called on the name of Baal, from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us! But there was no voice, nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. So come and... They must have started around 9, and, the, and they got panicked because nothing's happening. And so now they're, they're actually jumping on the altar, which was kind of dangerous if they thought fire was going to fall. 
uh, they're in kind of a bad place, uh, but uh, they evidently didn't think it was going to happen anyway. And so then they started at, at noon, Elijah mocked them, said, cry aloud, for he's a god. Now he's probably talking. He, he's pursuing. He's, he's away on business. You got to holler really loud because he's a long way away, or he's on a journey, or perhaps uh, he's asleep and must be awakened. Maybe, maybe he's just sound asleep. So Elijah's mocking them. Elijah wasn't worried about fire coming down from Baal. He wasn't worried that there was going to be two fires, that Baal was going to strike one and, and God was going to strike one. He knew there wasn't going to be any from Baal. And so they cried aloud. They cut themselves, which was forbidden of God's people. Uh, Deuteronomy 14.1 says, make no cutting. They cut themselves after the manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. They, they were sincere people, weren't they? They were serious about this. They were willing to go through pain and suffering. Folks, just because you're serious, just because you're sincere, doesn't make it right. They were following after something that was false and something that could not bring fulfillment. But I'm not going to preach and keep you standing. Uh, it came to pass... When midday was passed, that they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Okay, so now you can sit down. We're going to, I'm going to read more, but I'm not going to make you stand here. <clears throat> now, isn't the preacher a nice guy? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's kind of iffy, according to Peyton. <laughs> okay. Now, question that came to me, here Elijah is, he's saying, you know, I'm a prophet of God. There's 450 of you. I'm here all by myself. And, and I am here because I know Jehovah God is the true God. Now, I, I got a question for you. Where were those hundred prophets <laughs> that... that Obadiah hid in the caves. There's a hundred, there's a hundred prophets, according to what was told. There's a hundred of them, fifty, two groups of fifty. Looks like, it looks like they would have come out of the cave for something like this, because this didn't just happen in a moment. These four hundred fifty prophets, they had to send word through the, through the northern Israel and say, everybody come, you're supposed to be here, the king says there's going to be a contest. You, you think, wouldn't they have heard in the cave that there's something going on? Uh, I don't have an answer for that. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, we talk about today about people coming out of the closet. It's usually not very good, is it, folks? We wish they'd have stayed in the closet and kept the door shut. But they come out of the closet. Oh, what, what kind of perversion are they bringing out of the closet? But you know the problem, the sad thing is that some of God's people have, have gone in the closet. <laughs> it's like these guys are in the cave. Well, it's time to come out of the cave, boys. There's going to be a contest. We need your support. We need your help. <laughs> they don't... They stay in the cave, evidently. We don't hear anything more about these people. 
We hear that God has a great host uh, that later on when Elijah is very discouraged, God says he's got a great, he's got 7,000. But they're certainly not here, certainly not here for this contest today. So, you know, the best I can tell you is it's none of our business where they were. <laughs> it's none of our business. Elijah is the one that got the word from God. Elijah is doing what he's supposed to do. And I'll say the same thing to you. When, you. when you are following Jesus, you don't have to worry about everybody else, about what this one's doing and that one's doing. Now, if you're the preacher, yeah, if you're the preacher, you might have to address some of those problems. Because if you're the preacher and, and there's a sheep gone astray, uh, the preacher may have to address that for the good of the whole flock uh, because there may be some things going on that shouldn't be going on. Uh, I heard about somebody uh, that was guilty of gossip. Now, gossip isn't a sin. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. You know, you run your mouth, you run down other people in the church or or even just run down other people. It's wrong, folks. Uh, the old saying was, you can gossip about me if you please, but I'll, I'll talk about you on my knees. And that is not with other people there to listen at what you're saying. But, you know, uh, this, uh, this thing of, of, well, you know, we can do whatever. Well, you know there's some churches where they actually keep track of what you're doing. As far as your giving, <laughs> they monitor that. And you could get a letter that says you are behind on what you have, are expected to give. There's, there's a church in Worthington. I don't know if they still do it. I won't tell you what church. If you happen to go there, you might find out which church. Where they, you, you are assessed a fee for sitting in the seat. <laughs> That's right. They, they expect you to pay rent for your seat. Now, now, if you're in the wrong seat, I don't know what they're going to do with you then. But uh, they assess you a fee because uh, they have to have so much money to keep that church going. <coughs> you see, Pastor Goble is not doing that. I, for the most part, I don't know what... I don't know what's going on, this and that, with the money. I don't really want to follow it, but there are some churches that do, and I'm not saying it's wrong, because as board members, we ought to pay into the church that we are helping manage. Uh, we ought to do the best we can, and I know, I know it's not always up to an individual. Sometimes it's a marriage situation, and you just do the best you can, because... You know, the wife's not going to wait behind the door with a rolling pin and, and take care of the husband because he didn't let her give the money in the church. Uh, we're not advocating that kind of thing. But uh, a lot of people don't even know what a rolling pin is today, do they? Do you know what a rolling pin is, Peyton? A rolling pin. You're helping, Connie. No helping, please, from the studio audience. That is cheating. Yeah, so it's got two handles on it, don't it? 
So you could get a hold of one handle and you could club somebody with it, couldn't you? <coughs> so that's what I'm saying. We don't expect people to, to use the rolling pin and work over the spouse that does not allow that spouse to contribute. We're not that way, and we're not tracking here. We expect people to listen to God. So the preacher doesn't know everything, but somebody does, folks, <laughs> and that's Jesus. That's the one that we're giving account to, and that's the one that we have to consider in all of our actions. Are we doing what God wants us to do? Are we being faithful to him? Some people are very conscientious on following the rules, and others are pretty sloppy. God help us to realize that Jesus is the one that, that sat there and watched when the widow put her money in, and he watched the rich people putting their money in. That was not very nice, was it? Because Jesus is watching, but he's still watching today, folks. He's still watching today. And so, yes, uh, the preacher's not, not keeping track of all that, but Jesus is. Jesus knows. And so, we don't know about those other hundred. That, that's, not, that's not up to us to know. The Lord says, you do what I tell you to do, and you follow me, and you answer to me for what I command you. So Elijah was doing what he was commanded to do, and we just have to let, let the other hundred go, whatever was going on with them. And so here we are now. We're ready for this. We're, we're into this contest, and these 450 have done their best, but... There is no fire from heaven. There is nothing happening. Now, if Elijah comes up, folks, and Elijah gets started, and there is no fire, what if Elijah does all this praying and all this calling out to God, and there is no fire? Then what are we to assume? that the people are going to be atheists because there doesn't seem to be any response. But Elijah was a man full of faith, and he was working under the command of God. You say, I could never do that. If God tells you to do something and you're obedient, God will always come through, folks. God will always come through. You think about the great evangelistic campaigns and work that's been done as people have preached the gospel, many times people have stepped out in great faith, even in the building of a church like this. There are people that exercise faith that God is going to come through, God's going to take care of it, that God is faithful, and he expects us to be obedient to what he lays on our heart. Elijah was faithful to God, what God showed him, and that's what we have to do. We have to be faithful to what God reveals to us and be obedient. If it is something to do, it is, if it's something that has to do with our money, has something to do with our time, <clears throat> if it's something that has to do with our involvements, <clears throat> if it's a place we need to stay away from, if it's people we need to replace with better people, then we have to be obedient to God, whether it's easy or not. We have to be obedient to God. He'll not lead us astray. And so 
the scripture tells us that after they did their thing, then the false prophets were done. It was probably getting close to 3 o'clock. Why? Because that was the time for the offering of the evening sacrifice. What time did Jesus die? Do you remember? What time did Jesus die on the cross? Do you remember? Yeah, I see a little hand signal there, and I'll take that. Three o'clock, three o'clock, and it wasn't three o'clock in the morning, it was three o'clock in the afternoon, okay? Nine o'clock he was crucified, three o'clock he died. And so the scripture tells us this was the time for the evening sacrifice. Elijah steps forward. Elijah does not compromise, folks. Elijah does not compromise. Now, if you read the NIV or something like that, you might think that Elijah just did a little remodeling on this altar that they had already had their bullock on and you know, they took theirs off and then put his on, put some more wood on. He didn't do that, folks. There was an altar of the Lord there that was broken down. You see, the people hadn't been worshiping God like they should. They hadn't been faithful to worship God. There were places where people outside the temple did worship God. And there was an altar there on this mountain. Now, here's another key word. I expect you young people to know it. Mount Carmel or Mount Carmel, if you want to pronounce it that way. Mount Carmel. Okay, so this is where this is happening. And so there was an altar there on one of these peaks, wasn't necessarily the highest one, on Mount Carmel, where there was an altar that was broken down. It was the altar of the Lord. Elijah went to that altar. Folks, where we have altars that are broken down in our lives, we need to rebuild them. We need to rebuild the altar of the Lord and make him number one, make him first, make him the priority, make him the Lord of all in our lives. And so the scripture says that Elijah rebuilt that. They were supposed to build those altars out of stones that were not hewn. It was not supposed to be something that was ornate. It wasn't the idea. It was the idea of calling on God and reaching the Lord God. And so Elijah began to rebuild it. Now, I said there were ten tribes in Israel. In the northern part, there were two tribes in the southern part. So how many is ten and two? How many is ten and two? My math's not always real great, but I think that's 12, isn't it? I think that's 12. Okay, so the Bible tells us that Elijah took 10 stones and built this altar. No, it doesn't say that. I'll read it for you now. Look again at the, at the word. In verse 30, Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord... That was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. 
and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Okay, so we're halfway through verse 32. We got hope of getting out of here this morning, folks. We got hope because we're halfway through verse 32. And so the Bible says that he went back to the basics. It wasn't ten tribes that God gave his covenant to. It was to the whole house of Israel. And it didn't matter if they split apart or not. God's covenant was to all of them to all 12 tribes, to all 12 groups of people that made up the house of Israel, the house, the nation that God promised to bless. And so he went to 12 stones and built that altar as the people watched. And then after he built the altar, it says that he made a trench about the altar. Now you get an idea they're getting backhoes in there. They're getting trenchers in there, and they're digging these big ditches and everything. Nah, it wasn't like that. It, it, was, it was just a little trench around, enough to put a few gallons of, of seed in if you were measuring it by seed. Didn't, didn't take much because it was so dry anyway. Just a, little, just a little ditch around the altar that they could dig. <clears throat> and then... We're told about probably about 12, 12 gallons of seed. That wouldn't be a very deep trench, would it? It didn't have to be very deep. He put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces, laid him on the wood, and said, fill four barrels with water. Now you got, here's 50-gallon drums they're bringing in. Where'd they get all this water? It's drought. <laughs> Where'd they get all the water? Well, for one thing, it wasn't 50-gallon drums. It, these were vessels that they made in that day, and they didn't make steel drums. These, you know, you might have, you might have something of 20 gallons, maybe 30 gallon. We, we don't know exactly. But uh, one version says uh, pitchers, another one says buckets. Uh, so you, it kind of measure, it kind of narrows it down a little bit, so you're not looking at quite as, quite as big a volume of water and didn't I tell you in one of these sermons that probably the the Mediterranean Ocean lapped up against the base of Mount Carmel so they had water there it was salt water who cares if it's salt water they're not drinking it all they're doing is Elijah says you go fill four containers with water and we don't know how far we don't know which point they were on on Mount Carmel, but they could go get the water, bring it, pour it on the sacrifice. Well, they didn't, they, the idol worshipers didn't do that. No, Elijah didn't want there to be any mistake. This wasn't spontaneous ignition that was going to light this sacrifice, okay? The sun just got so hot, it was so dry, and then there was a little tinder fire that started, and it started blazing up, and that's how Elijah did it. Elijah said, we're not having any of that, folks. You go get water and pour on this sacrifice. We're going to make sure nobody can say it was anything except a miracle of God that did this. So pour, this, pour these four containers of water on here. They did that. He said, go get four more. Do that. Pour that on. I'm sure that the ditch was licking it right up. I mean, dry as it was. 
Go get four more. <clears throat> How many times is he going to do this? <laughs> I'll get four more and pour that on. <clears throat> no chance that just ignited accidentally like the scientists would come along later and say, well, you know, it's just a phenomenon of nature. God didn't do anything special. And isn't it something how the devil tries to wiggle out every, every great thing that God does that gets a victory against him? But he does. He'll try to wiggle out of, a, of confessing that God is great and it's a miracle and that God performed a miracle. And so it says <clears throat> that after they did this and the water ran all down, came to time, it came to pass the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near, said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art, thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done these things, chapter 18, verse 1, at thy word. You know why God can't have us do some of this stuff? Because we'd get so big, so puffed up. Look what I did. Look how important I am. Look at the power I've got. And look, you better not mess with me. I'm the big deal going here. Uh, I can do this kind of thing, and, and, and I'll put it on you if you mess with me. And there have been people, Connie Kais has told us some people that said, you don't do this right now, and then you're going to get, you're going to die. Yeah, there's people that will do that. Well, the scripture tells us, that God could trust Elijah. He never got the big head over it. He never thought he was somebody. He never thought he was, he was anything away from what God had made him. And that's the way we have to be, folks. We have to keep a humble attitude when God uses us. And so the scripture says <clears throat> that when Elijah prayed this little prayer, verse 37, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned back their heart, thou hast, thou hast turned their heart back again. <clears throat> Guess what happened? The fire of the Lord fell. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Elijah wasn't on the altar. He was standing there watching. He wasn't jumping on the altar, cutting himself. And the fire came down. Was it a lightning bolt? Could have been. I don't know what it was. Whatever it was, it was hot. <laughs> it was hot. And it lit that sacrifice up. And folks, it didn't just burn up the animal and the wood. You read the account here. It burned up everything. It burned up everything that was there. It licked up the water that was there in the trench. And how about uh, it consumed the stones? Did you see that? It burned up the stones. You have to have a real fire to do that. This wasn't, this wasn't the kind of thing you're going to roast hot dogs on, folks. This was hot. And it, it cleaned it all off. God had spoken. Then all the people saw it. They fell on their faces. Wouldn't you fall on your face too? If you'd been doubting God? Scripture says they fell on their faces. <coughs> and then... Look at old mean Elijah. Look what he did. He said, capture all the false prophets. Take them down to the dry brook. <laughs> we're going to have a stream going there, but it's going to be a stream of blood. Ooh, 
That's kind of that's kind of harsh, isn't it? But Elijah, it wasn't Elijah's verdict, folks. That was what God said to do in Deuteronomy chapter 13. God said, when you have people like this that are leading people astray, they are to be put to death. And we're talking about Old Testament, Old Testament law. We're not talking about Jesus and forgiving everybody. This was Old Testament law. And so they were taken, and the people, as they were energized by what had just happened, put all of them to death. Now, I want to ask you something. If you were one of those false prophets, you had made a fool out of yourself jumping around on the altar, your altar, not this altar, but your altar, the altar that you had built out of your whims and fancies and out of your, let's try this, and out of your revelry. Huh, that was a word I learned in Sunday school this morning. Out of your daydreams. Am I right, Elijah? Yeah, out of your daydreams, out of your pleasant thoughts. If you were one of those guys that were in with old Baal, wouldn't you start thinking, maybe I was wrong? <laughs> maybe I was wrong, maybe I'm on the wrong side. You think any of them might have cried for mercy? Folks, it's true, and it's not original with me, but some people do not see the light until they feel the heat. Some people do not see the light until they feel the heat. And I think probably some of these may have cried out for mercy, but it was too late. Folks, there's coming a time when it'll be too late to pray. It'll be too late to seek the Lord. So the Bible says, seek the Lord while you can find him. Yeah, there comes a time when it's too late to pray, when drugs or whatever are, are stupefying your senses and you can't pull your thoughts together. You say, oh, I'll get saved before I die. You won't get saved unless it's a sincere prayer of repentance and unless God grants that to you. That's something that comes from God. It's not something that says, oh, I just need Jesus now for a fire escape from hell. Doesn't work that way, folks. Has to be a sincere prayer of repentance. And yes, people do pray, and we trust they do find help, like the thief on the cross. But I'm not their judge, and you're not their judge. We have to invite them to open their heart to the Lord and ask Christ to save them at whatever point they are in, in their life. Yes, well, then the Bible says that Elijah said, and I'll tell you this instead of reading it to you, my scripture goes on in the reference in the bulletin until the end of the chapter. <clears throat> the Bible says that Elijah said to Ahab, uh, get up and, and feast, because the, the curse was gone, the, the drought was gone. Elijah said, there's going to be rain. Now, what did they eat? I, I don't know. I guess they might have eaten some overcooked bullock. I don't know. <laughs> it definitely was, was overcooked. Wasn't it? Or maybe there was enough fire that it, it roasted the other one that was on the other altar. Maybe it roasted that one. But they had some kind of steak, I guess. I don't know. I couldn't read anything on that. I couldn't find anything in commentary on that. Uh, but, but they had some kind of a some kind of a party that the drought was going to be over. 
And then the Bible says that when he told Ahab, old King Ahab, that, Elijah went to a higher place. <clears throat> See, I told you there were different levels on Carmel. And it says that Elijah went up. <laughs> See, they weren't the size you could get. Eli in verse 42, Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he cast himself down the earth, put his face between his knees. Here he is, the humble servant of God. God has promised to do it. Now as a servant of the Lord, he's reminding God of what God has promised. And there's a whole message here, and I'm not going to preach this one, but God heard Elijah's prayer. But Elijah was up. Elijah was public. But then Elijah was private, wasn't he? He was private. He got alone with God. And he told the servant, go and tell me when you see a cloud. And it didn't happen immediately. But finally the servant said, after seven times of going, I see a little cloud coming out of the Mediterranean. He didn't say Mediterranean, out of the sea, about the size of a man's hand. Elijah said, that's it. He went on down. He said to Ahab, get out of here. There's a storm coming. And then the wind raged, the rain poured, the horse ran in the in the in the dust that was stirred as the rain came down on three and a half years of drought. And they went to the adjacent town, Jezreel, about 16 miles. Well, I can't tell you anymore, but there God came through. God came through. God takes care of his people, folks. God told Elijah to do it. Elijah obeyed, and God took care of it, didn't he? And God is still good to his word today. Praise his name. Will you stand with me?